0: Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I want to speak to you today a word that I feel God's put on my heart that can be a help to you uh, this morning. And and, uh, today I want to speak to you on the subject God's quiet comfort. God's quiet comfort. We're coming to the end of the story of Elijah. I feel kind of sad about it. It's bittersweet. I, I know you're ready for me to preach a different part of the Bible, but I feel like I know this guy now. You know, I feel like I could preach about him for the rest of my life. And uh, we, we're on 22 weeks or so, but we're coming to the end of his story in First Kings. And I believe two essential things happen at the end of his story. And I, I believe it will really resonate with you. And I, I, they're connected. So I'm going to preach part one today part two next Sunday. But today I want to talk to you about God's quiet comfort out of 1 Kings chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to begin in verse 9. And it says this, And the word of the Lord came to him, him being Elijah. He says, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. It sounds like a band. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. And he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, right now, as we come to meet you in your presence As you ask us the question you asked Elijah thousands of years ago, what are we doing here? God, we are here to meet with you, receive from you, hear from you. So I pray right now you help us tune in. God, we need your word for this next week. We can't and don't want to do it on our own. That's why we're here, God, at the very beginning of this week, to dedicate it to you and to receive from you. And God, I pray as we move forward from this moment, move with us. We give you the time to speak to your people. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said, amen. 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 God's quiet comfort. We find Elijah. He's at Mount Horeb. This is the mountain that's holy. This is the mountain where uh, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, where, where, where God Passed by Moses, and the glory was so powerful it got on Moses, and he began to reflect God's glory. This is the holy mountain of God where the, t- where the fire came and touched the top and began to speak to the people of Israel. Suffice it to say, Elijah is in a holy place right now. And, and he's here after a journey of 40 days and 40 nights. He, he, he came all this way through the wilderness to meet with God, and God drew him to this place. Elijah's here because he's overwhelmed, he's exhausted, he's frustrated, he's here because what he expected to happen didn't happen. He was at the Mount of Carmel in front of all the people. Fire came from heaven at Elijah's prayer and the fire was, was the answer of God. The people were awakened and they began to shout, the Lord, he is God. Now here, Elijah expected Revival. He expected national repentance in that moment. But what happened was the next day he received a message from Jezebel, who was the queen married to Ahab. And maybe he expected the message to say, I've seen the error in my ways. My God could not show up when I needed him. My husband told us about the rain that came when you prayed. Thank you. But instead, the message said, if you are not put to the death by tomorrow, may the gods kill me. This was not what Elijah was expecting. This was not what he was hoping for. What he was hoping for was a national change. Nothing changed in the governance. Nothing changed in the culture. Nothing changed in the people. They were awakened, and yet there wasn't repentance, which is sustained change. And, and, and so he was let down. And In fact, fear came in. And it begins to drive him into a lonely place. And he begins to struggle with anxiety and depression. He begins to struggle with his existence. And, and, and last week I spoke to you how God comes when he's, when he's there in that place of brokenness. And God sends an angel and he, he gives Elijah three, three, three things. He gives him rest, food, and water. And, and God cares about your practical as much as your spiritual and understand they are connected. He, he has him rest. Now after that, God calls him away. Away from Israel, away from all the people, away from Mount Carmel, away from the showdown. He calls them into the wilderness. Interesting, he calls them back to where it all began. He calls them back to where God revealed himself to the people. Almost as if in that mountain there was a promise that God says this didn't start with them and it won't end with them. I'm the one that came to reveal myself to my people. He brings them back to himself, back to his place of presence. And that's what I want to speak to you about today. I want to speak to you about the presence of God, because it is God's presence that changes our perspective. It's God's presence that changes the way we think, the way we hope, the way we expect. His presence repositions us. His presence brings change to our perspective. and, and that's why you're here today. You are here today to encounter the presence of God. You're not here for good music or a nice self-help TED Talk. You are here for the presence of God. And that is what changes you. And, and, and in the presence of God, Elijah arrives. He's at the mountain and, and God asks him a question. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? I'm thankful that God is always the one to initiate communication. I want you to know you were saved, not because you turned to God, but because God turned to you. God opens up the avenue to speak to Elijah by asking him a question. Why are you here? This is a good question to answer today. Why are you here? What are you doing here? You know what God is saying? God's saying, Elijah, let's talk. He's a good father. Come on, let's talk. You you can tell he's down. Come on, you down, buddy? Come on. You know, with my sons, when they're down, I'm their dad, I can tell. I know when they're, when they're up, I know when they're down, in a good mood and a bad mood. And, and I speak to them when they're down, not because I really need the information in the technicals, it's not as if God doesn't know, like, what happened down there? I sent the fire, and God speaks to him because he, he knows that Elijah needs to speak to God. He, he knows that Elijah needs to reconnect with God, and so, so he opens up that avenue and says, okay. Let's have a moment. Let's have a dialogue. And, and we find quickly that Elijah simply is let down. That's what he's dealing with. He's just let down. He's not broken beyond repair. He's not faithless. He, he, he's, not, he's not running away from God. He's just let down. He, he's just hopeless because his hopes were unfulfilled. He has less hope now than he did when he started this whole thing. And, and he's in this crestfallen place. And, and so Elijah does a wise thing. Like David, he opens up God, to God and he's very truthful to him. When God says, what's going on? Elijah says, well, God, I've been very zealous for you. You know, it, Elijah could have said, God, I am nothing, an ant, a worm. <laughs> and you are God. No, but Elijah's going to be honest. And Elijah says, I, I, God, I followed you. I've served you. I've done my best to keep the law. I I have not worshipped Baal. I've not been caught up in culture. I've not followed the way of Jezebel. I've not become a false prophet for profit. I've zealously followed you. I'm your guy. And this is There's a long tradition of people that are zealous for the things of God and the house of God. Paul calls himself, he said, I was zealous for the traditions of my fathers. In other words, he was saying when kids were playing games, I was learning the Torah. I was zealous. When when Jesus turns the tables over, everyone says, whoa, I've never seen this side of Jesus. And then the Bible says the disciples remembered the prophecy that he would be zealous for the house of God. There's something powerful about being dedicated to the things of God. There's something powerful about serving God with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with all your actions and your thoughts. There's something powerful about it. And Elijah's reminding God, God, I've done my best here. And yet they still are putting prophets to death. The nation still hasn't repented. The idols are still set up. They're not torn down. In other words, what I expected is not what happened. What, what, what he's submitting to God is essentially this. He's saying, God, I did everything right, and it didn't turn out all right. Have you ever been there? I did my best, and it wasn't enough. I've prayed, I've fasted, and I've not yet gotten my answer. Maybe you feel like you're in a season of drought, spiritual dryness, distant from God. Maybe the things that you've been praying for, seemingly those prayers are, have gone unanswered. Maybe you're praying for a child. Maybe you're praying for your business. Maybe you've been praying for God to bring healing, and yet every doctor's visit shows no change. Things are trending down. Listen, if you're going to follow Jesus for any length of time at all, you're going to find yourself in this place. This isn't a sermon for someone that's just deciding to follow Jesus. This is a, servant, a sermon for the servants. This is a sermon for those that have been following God 1, 5, 10, 20 years. Where you come to a place and you say, God, I do love you. I am for you. I serve you. But I don't get what's happening here. This isn't what I expected. This is not what I hoped for. This is not turning out in alignment with my expectation. And I've prayed and I've fasted and still nothing. And I've seen great victories from God, still nothing. Both in maybe your personal life, maybe even in the culture. Things aren't turning out out there like you've been praying for in here. God, what? What's going on? What do we do? See, the problem is your hope has been deferred. Your hope has not been answered in the time that you were hoping it to be answered in. Your hope's been pushed off. Proverbs says, hope deferred, it makes the heart grow sick. When when hope is pushed off, your emotions can't handle it. Your emotions begin to take or overtake your thinking or your logic. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled, that's like the tree of life. I want you to know, just because your hope is deferred does not mean God will never fulfill a desire in your life. You have to understand there's a rhythm to God's work, and your hope will not be postponed for eternity. It may be a while, but it will not be forever. God will fulfill your desires, but hear me, it will be like eating of the tree of life, which is Jesus. Which is Jesus. And, but this is a test. An eternal test that you're going to have to face and you're going to have to pass. And I would even challenge those of you that are more early on in life, learn to pass this test now so that you don't have to keep going around this mountain for an age, for a decade. This is a test you're going to have to face. And the test is simply this. Can you trust God when things don't turn out as you expected? Or let me repose the question for you. Do things have to turn out your way for God to be good? Do things have to turn out your way for God to be good? The test is a test of trust. Can you trust God? Allow him to comfort you. Shift your perspective. Reposition you even when things aren't turning out the way you wanted them to turn out. Can you trust God in the middle? Or what if they never turn out the way you thought they were gonna turn out? Are you able to submit yourself to the will of God? Are you able to make the choice to be the finite being and let God be the infinite God and say, God, I don't understand your plan, but I know you have one and I know I'm a part of it. And I know in the end, you will overcome the world and you will bring victory in my life through however you want to do. This is a a test of trust. But know this, even in this testing, if you get with God, he will bring comfort through the difficulty. So God comes to Elijah, and God brings an incredible solution. In all of Elijah's frustration, God comes and and, and he, he says to Elijah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out, stand in the mountain. At this moment, Elijah is in a cave that's on that mountain. He says, I want you to come out of the cave. We preached on on that at the beginning of of last year, where we we declare we're coming out better. And I I want you to please hear me. This is what God does. He did it with David. He's doing it with Elijah. He did it with Jesus. He brings people out of the cave through resurrection power, but he'll do it in his way, in his timing, on his command. Amen. (laughs) This is what he says. He says, I want you to go out, and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And what what is God saying? What are his instructions to Elijah, to us? He's essentially saying this, I want you to get away and get with me. Here's my simple point. When you're in the midst of that hopeless place, that place where you feel let down, the simple eternal solution that God provided to Elijah, he provides to you right now. He says this, get away and get with me. Get away and get with God. I know it's simple, but it's powerful. I I, I know it's easy, but when you apply it, it can change a whole lot in your life. Get away and get with God. Let me me make it even more practical. Let Let me even make it very simple. One of the most spiritual things you can do when you're in a place of hopelessness, brokenness, is to go take a walk. When you're frustrated, overwhelmed, when you don't understand what is going on, one of the most simple things. Last week I said you need to take a nap. This week I'm saying you need to take a walk. And you might be thinking, well, that's, that's too simple. I, I, I know. I know what you're saying, but that's what God's saying. God's saying, hey, I want you to go out on the mountain. I want you to go experience nature. I want want you to go outside of your basement. I want you to walk outside and recognize there's snow on the ground. I want you to take a walk. This is such a powerful thing. Now, you might think that this is some new age. This This is an ancient principle. Let's go all the way back to the garden in the book of Genesis. Before the fall, before sin entered the world, what was God doing in utopia with Adam and Eve? He was taking a walk in the garden in the cool of the day. Every day God would come and he would visit with Adam and Eve and he would spend time with them and they with him. And, and, and the, most, the most powerful aspect of the Garden of Eden was simply that God's presence was there. It was simply that, that, that he, it was that tangible. And, and what did God do? Did God bring down fire, earthquake, might, and storm in the garden? No. Simply he spent time. Adam and Eve, took a walk, I would challenge you to find spaces in your life to do the simple things to reconnect your spirit to Jesus Christ. Taking a walk is one. Maybe you have a nice window and you are able to sit by it for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and contemplate Christ as you look outside, especially now it's too cold. Maybe you go for a drive. You turn off the radio. You, you, you go Go nowhere, but drive so that you can begin to meditate on who God is and begin to just talk, God, this is what I'm dealing with. Be honest. He won't be shocked. He won't stand back. (gasps) What? You're struggling? I didn't see that coming. You just prayed like 21 days. You prayed like four of them. You're struggling? I'm kidding. You did more than four. The simple things in your everyday can have a wonderful effect. Maybe you do this, you go into a room, you turn off all the electronics, turn off your phone, and you spend 15 minutes, 30 minutes with God. I yeah, see not a lot of amens, I could tell on that one. you're saying. I can't be unreachable. What if people try and call me? I don't text back immediately. They'll think that it's an emergency. Can I tell you, in the 90s, people lived their whole lives unreachable. There was such a freedom there. Go back to the '90s. What are you gonna do? Page me? I gotta go find a payphone. That's freedom. Get away from the things that are trying to distract you from His presence. The infinite infinite scroll of social media—it it does have a cost. Its cost is your time, and your time is worth something. The media circus that wants your mind. They target your mind, right and left. They want you to think their way. They want your priorities to be their priorities because they wanna use your political capital to get what they want done. They want your mind. And so they create a circus filled with fear, because fear is one of the most powerful motivators fear and anger to get you to keep watching you ever watch the news on tv they always got like 20 seconds quick in 20 seconds tell us how to deal with this giant systemic problem quick go and the guy's like well uh, chapter one of my book (laughs) all right all right we gotta go do you know why they're moving so fast it's it's 24 7 news why y'all always out of time you know why they're moving so fast because they know our attention span is so short So they're moving us on because they want you watching. They want you watching. They want you watching. See, the enemy wants you to live in the noise. God wants to bring you into the presence. Amen. For me personally, I'll tell you, one of the most powerful moments that I have every week is when I take out the trash. Sunday night, when I take out the trash, my wife's going to use this against me for the next twenty years. I know it. She's going to say, "Go spend time with God." Take out the. Tra- I'll take out the trash to the end of my driveway, and I'll look up at the stars. And I'm always let down when there's clouds. It seems like a wasted time, but when the clouds are aren't there and the, the stars are visible, I always pause in that moment, pause in the presence, and I contemplate the existence of my Creator and my place in this world. And and, and I think of Psalm 19 where the psalmist says, the heavens declare your handiwork. That God, God allows the stars to preach a sermon that I get to hear every time I look up. And it's one of the most powerful, fulfilling moments in my life. And, 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 and it's not long. 30, 40 seconds, uh, two minutes to contemplate the existence of God and have a moment of connection. Brother Lawrence, the great writer, a monk in the 15th century, he uh, learned how to practice the presence of God in his kitchen. And he said, as I'm washing dishes, I would use that as a moment to spend time with God. We overcomplicate this thing sometimes. We feel like it has to be in January, and we have to be fasting, and we have to be at the church. Not true. Hear me. Elijah had to go 40 days and 40 nights to spend time with God. But I got good news for you. Jesus came to break the veil open. Jesus came to allow you instant access into the presence of God. That's the beauty of the cross, is that it's open at all times. James says, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. It's never God that's distant. It's always us. And it's not that we have to go even to a certain place. And I think you should maybe have a place that helps you. But anywhere that you are at, when you open up, you will find God in that moment. Look at what the prophet Jeremiah says. He, he, I've got this great verse that I want you to read. It says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's the simplicity of this. When you seek God, you will find God. When you seek him with all of your heart. That verse, that prophecy can be fulfilled today because when Jesus sacrificed his life, he did it so that your life could get access into God's kingdom right where you're at, right what you're going through, God is right there to say, come spend time with me. The psalmist says this in verse 46, says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob, he is our fortress. I'll be still and know he's my protection. I'll be still and I'll know that he is with me. I'll be still and know that he is God and he is still on the throne. Martin Luther says this, speaking of contemplating God in nature, he says, God writes the gospel, not in the Bible alone, but also on trees and in flowers and clouds and stars. Find moments in your life to magnify the Lord. Find moments in your day to magnify God. When you're dropping your kids off for school, remember the prayers you prayed to have those kids. Find that moment and magnify God. When you're coming into your workplace and your boss is getting on your nerves, remember the prayers you prayed to get that job and magnify the Lord in your life. Because hear me, when we magnify God, our problems become minimal. Minimal. But when we minimize God, that's when our problems get magnified. When we magnify God, the world gets small. But when we magnify the world, God becomes small in our life. I'm asking you to live your life from an eternal perspective. I'm asking you for you to live your life from a place of the presence. Of course, we always shift. Of course, we always grow distance. Of course, we always the tide of the world in culture is always pushing you away from the things of God. So therefore, we, in the simple act of living, must determine moments where we swim back, where we push against the current of culture, push against the current of our own flesh, and we come back to the things of God. You know what Jesus did? Is He got up early before everyone else got up, and he went aside and he spent time with God. That's the model. Jesus says, get up before the noise and spend time with God. I'm, th- I'm thankful for the times of prayer that we had this year at 6 a.m. here at the church. It was really amazing to be driving at 530 in the morning and seeing lights come on in people's houses and seeing some cars being warmed up and no one really on the road and knowing that I'm about to begin my day with a specified time and moment to magnify God. And when I would get there, it was amazing how many people were there. Everyone's ready for work, but first and foremost, we're going to magnify God. And it was an incredible one week, period. And, 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 you know, every year we're saying, should we continue that? And I I do think for a season, we're going to continue doing that. Every Tuesday at 6 a.m., we're going to have prayer here at the church. We're not going to do it forever, but I do feel God putting it on my heart to help us get in the rhythm of magnifying in the morning. We magnify in the morning. I think it's great for you to spend time with God when you hit the bed at night and you're about to fall asleep. That's fine. But that's giving God our leftovers. That's giving God our least. And the reality is we don't magnify Him for very long. We hit the pillow and we say, God, you are... I think there's something precious when you give God the tithe of your life. And I'm not saying we're all there. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying... This is a simple act that we can do that repositions us back into the presence. First things first, we want to prioritize God. Five, 10, 15 minutes. Maybe you read a psalm, you read a proverb. Maybe you get uh, alone and you give God five minutes of your day in prayer. I'm telling you, it will begin to direct how you think, how you act, and how you react in the day. we find God's solution says, come out, come to the mountain, enjoy nature, get with me, come into my presence, and here God begins to reveal himself. Because every time you seek, God will reveal himself. First comes the wind, then the earthquake, then the fire. But The Bible says the Lord was not in any of those. That's the thing that we would expect God to be in. He is God. But then came a still, small voice, a gentle whisper, and that is where God was to be found. Don't you think it's amazing to study in contrast that the God of the universe, the magnificent God, that all the energy, that every sun in our solar system and beyond, in all the solar systems, in all of our universe, every sun, you put that energy together, it's not one iota of the power of the living God. If you think about the God that spoke a universe into an outward, ever-expanding construct, all of that is nothing in comparison to the power of our God. Our God that is omniscient and omnipotent. He is everywhere, all-knowing and all-powerful. He knows the beginning and he already knows the end. He is a God outside of time. He is, he is in a dimension all his own. And in that dimension, he rules and he reigns with a scepter of iron. His will is absolute. And yet he chooses to not be a dictator. He chooses to not be an authoritarian. He chooses to rule by grace, to rule by love, for God is love love is not God, but God chooses to personify himself as love. This is a great God. If you could consider that all of the nations are his footstool, that the wars and the skirmishes of men are nothing to him, that he knows exactly what he's doing, that this is like one giant chessboard to God, and he checkmates with every single move that he makes. He is a wonderful, majestic being. And in all that strength, how does God show himself to us? In all that power, he comes to us in a whisper. Because he's a quiet comforter. Elijah didn't need the storm. He didn't need the fire. He didn't need the earthquake. But God does show himself in that. And sometimes there are times where God will show himself in that. God will part the Red Sea. He'll be the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day. God will do mighty acts. But Elijah, he wasn't in a crisis of faith. He just needed hope. He he wasn't in a place of disbelief of God. He just needed help from God. So God doesn't have to show his power. He just has to speak comfort. Many of you are in this place where you don't need a radical change from God. You've had your Damascus moment. You've cried your tears. You've been saved. Many of you, you've had your conferences. You've had your encounter. You went to concerts where you've had moments with God. You've had your dreams. You've seen things fulfilled. Many of you aren't in that place. And if you are, know that God will show you his strength and his power. But many of us are actually just in the place where we know God is great. He is good, and he is powerful, and he loves us, and we're going to be in heaven with him. But right now, we feel let down. We feel frustrated. Right now, we don't understand what's going on. And God meets us right where we're at. What does he do? He comes, and he brings a word. One whisper of a word from God can change everything. Remember that it was just a word. That created the universe. And God said, let there be light. And all things seen and unseen began to be generated from a word. When the storm was raging, Jesus didn't shout. He didn't scream. He didn't fight. He stood and said, peace, be still. And the storm began to shift at the command of the word of God. I'm here to tell you that it's one word. That is all that you need to begin to be comforted, corrected, encouraged, changed, reset. All it takes is one word. Elijah had to travel 40 days and 40 nights to get one word from God. But you, you're in a great place. You might you might feel jealous of Elijah that he's able to see God and speak to him, but I want you to know you're able to speak to God. And you don't have to travel 40 days and 40 nights. God has spoken his word, been written down by his prophets. God has codified it for us and handed it right over to us. And one word from the word can rearrange everything. One word can reset your values. One word can change your perspective. One word from God can bring healing and can bring hope. You could listen to a thousand hours of podcasts. Read every book that you could possibly find. Speak to all your friends and their friends. In all those words, the volumes that could be found in the Library of Congress do not add up to one simple word from the Word of God. And that's all it takes. It's why the enemy will do anything in his power to distract you from the Word because it's the most powerful thing in the universe. God says light and everything is created. One word from God can recreate you, can change you, forgive you. But you got to get in his presence. you got to hear his voice. And in his presence, you'll hear him speak, and it will change your perspective on everything. One word, one word brings life. This is what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. But watch this next verse. He says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One word from God will bring peace that makes no sense. You're not going to be able to figure out how you even got there. Have you ever tried to explain to people something you felt God speak to you? They look at you like, what? You try and convince them like, no, God loves us, bro. And they're like, yeah. (laughs) You got a revelation because you got a word. I was trying to explain something to my dad that I felt God speak to me last week. And I I couldn't, my English language is so finite. I was trying to tell him, I was like, dad, it's like, it's like I was in a bubble. You know, and then I, I heard a word from outside the bubble. I live in this bubble. I know what the bubble sounds like and feels like. This wasn't from the bubble. It was from outside the bubble. And my dad's like, "What are you a bubble boy? What's happening? I was, trying to ex- I was trying to express with my words a piece that passes my understanding. It didn't make sense. Therefore, I couldn't even explain it. I was trying to speak to my dad about how God crosses dimensions and and how I hear a word that I know is not from me, but it's from heaven. But I couldn't couldn't even express it. In other words, not everyone is gonna understand your word. But when God speaks, he speaks things differently and specifically. That's why on a Sunday, someone's crying, someone's laughing. Someone's getting healed, someone's getting hope. Someone's getting angry because they're getting convicted. Someone's getting encouraged. Every Sunday, different things are going on. But what is it? My word? Certainly not. My words will fail and fall as soon as they leave my mouth. But the word goes through the atmosphere, will speak to your spirit, correct your mind, help your emotions. It will begin to guard your heart. Your emotions are not in control. The Word of God is in control. Guard your mind. My thinking is not God. The Bible says His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So I I don't want my thoughts, God. I want Your Word, Your peace. I want it to surpass my ability to understand. And Lord, will You guard my emotions. Will you guard my heart? Will you guard my mind? Because I want to think like you, be like you. In order to do that, the Lord will call you away from the noise. He'll call you away from the noise. You are not going to engage in the things that everyone around you is going to engage in. You might act differently. You might have different priorities, values, and and they will translate into how you live your life. There are some of the things I spoke about earlier that you might need to shut off more. Some things you might need to shut out of your daily life, so that you can open up your awareness to God. I'm going to close right now, but I want you to know this. God never grows distant from you. You might grow distant from God, but God never grows distant from you. He is everywhere all at once. What needs to change is our awareness of his presence. That's why I'm saying something. Simply get away from it all. Take a walk, find a space, and then begin to open up. And in a moment, you're going to find the presence of God. Now, as you get into that walk, sometimes God doesn't show up instantly. You know, he he helps us out as like babies, you know, babies take two steps, God's right there, right there to catch us. But when you learn to walk, God says, now I want you to walk a little bit further and further. At this point, I want you to hear me. Elijah was at the end of a three and a half year drought that didn't just affect Israel, it affected him. It affected him as well. He was part of the drought. There might be seasons where there's spiritual dryness, but I want you to know that does not mean God has abandoned you or forgotten you. He's growing you up. Your roots grow deeper in times of drought. Keep coming to the presence of God. And in so doing, we put our trust in Him. And at the end of all that happening, as God begins to speak. Elijah, what does he say? He asks him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? God reposes the question he began with. Well, what shifted? Not God and not God's question. What changed? Elijah changed. His perspective changed. He was reminded who he was speaking to. And here God was giving him by his grace an opportunity saying, trust me again. Trust me again. It's God's presence that changes your perspective. My question for you Is what you're going through, what you've been through, where you're at right now, simply this, are you ready to trust God again? Through it all, we're going to rededicate our trust to God, not to people, culture, governance, finance, academia. They do not get our trust. Our eternal trust goes to him and him alone.